Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, episode 91 with Casey Azell. Yes, Dragon Con finalist, sci-fi fantasy, alternate history author, and U.S. Air Force UH-1 helicopter badass pilot, that Casey Azell is right here on the show this week. The show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. That interview is coming up in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. Oh my gosh, you don't want to miss out on this. Man, I'm just, I'm just really, really excited. I mean, this is episode 91. Holy cow. I mean, we're just, what is that? Is that, do you say eight more episodes or nine more episodes? Nine would be 100 right on the nose, but I guess eight would be leading up to it before we get to it. So however you want to say it, we're only eight or nine episodes from episode 100 and the big party I'm planning, uh, you're all invited to it. It's, of course, going to be a virtual party. You're going to be hearing about it. But, yes, there will be prizes. There will be surprises. There will be all kinds of fun things. And I am finishing the details on that right now. So make sure you stay tuned. By the end of this month, by the end of October, I'm going to have things all set on how you can sign up for the prizes, what you need to do to so you don't miss out on it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I am really, really looking forward to this. And I just, I can't believe it's almost here. Holy cow. Wow. 100. Well, speaking of fun, I have just about finished my edits on my on my next novel, A Novel Idea. Some of it has been sent off to an editor already. Uh, I'm already hitting up my, my beta reader. So getting that all set up so that we're in a range so that they can begin reading that and let me know, making sure I've got things tied up. You may have seen the cover already. Uh, you can check that out. We'll share the, the picture of it again sometime soon. But uh, I'm still holding out hope that maybe I'll have... Maybe the book will be ready to go by Halloween. Uh, that would be that'd be cool. I'm, that's what I'm really shooting for right now. We'll see what happens. Um, I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. There's a whole lot going on right now between my own books and getting ready for NaNoWriMo, getting things ready for this show with episode 100 i've got just kind of my i i said a few episodes ago i've got a lot of irons in the fire and you know nothing has changed as far as that goes but uh you know i've, I've hit a groove and uh of course this is just it's just fun so you know why not i'm enjoying every minute of it so of course as soon as i have it ready i will make sure and pass that on and let you all know so, uh, other people I want to let you know about is, of course, our sponsors, Scrivener, uh, the absolute best writing software that you can use. Once I made the, the move to Scrivener, I haven't looked back. If you could see my Scrivener files, you would see anytime I hop on there, I've got, right now, I've got three books on Scrivener that I've, uh, two that I'm dabbling on and one that I'm writing in full. By the time NaNoWriMo comes around, November 1st, I will have a fourth one in there because I'm writing uh, book one of a series, and then I'm going to be starting book two coming up in uh, on November 1st. So there's nothing I can say that's going to convince you. You need to check it out for yourself. Stay tuned for the advertisement we've got for them. It's going to be coming up here in just a moment. And be sure you listen and write down that coupon code so when you go purchase one for yourself, you're going to save 
20% on the desktop version. I also want to thank my special friends at UStoreAll right here in Warrensburg with me. They have been with me from the very beginning. Uh, you know, I just, I owe so much to this place. And they are the most incredible self-storage facility anywhere around. If you're interested in basic self-storage, you know, the uh, conventional style, or, you know, say you want to get climate control because, you know, uh, <laughs> winter is coming. You want to make sure you are hitting their website at ustoreall.net. Check out everything they have to offer. That is the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. Of course, I want to thank my friends over at Pop Goes the Culture Network. Uh, go to popgoestheculture.com and check out all the different podcasts they have over there. There's so many of them. Uh, but, you know, I want to mention every week the ones that I listen to on a regular basis, which is, of course, the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture podcast. There's the Back in Time podcast. I also listen to the Alamo Backlot. There's those, and then there's a couple of others that I catch once in a while. But they have they have several other podcasts on there. Lots of fun to listen to, and as well as the website hosting a lot of incredible blogs. So if you have any kind of an interest in pop culture news or just, you know, talking about the, the 80s, the 90s, all that kind of stuff, be sure you click the links in the show notes and get yourself on over to popgoesaculture.com. So, you know, these last few weeks have been a real whirlwind for me and the show. Uh, we have been to Australia. We've been to Canada. I was just on the phone the other night with somebody in England. That one's coming up real soon. And then here we are, for me, a very special one, because I've actually lived here before. We were in Yokota, Japan, with Casey Azell. Yeah, Yokota Air Force Base. Uh, Casey is an active duty U.S. Air Force helicopter pilot. She, she flies the UH-1s. And, you know, I when I first heard her, I caught her over on the uh, Keystroke Medium, uh, one of their shows, and she was a guest. I was already interested when I heard about the books that she was writing and the the incredible stories, but then when I found out she was at Yakota Air Force Base, which is where my family and I were stationed, uh, actually ten years ago, right now, that's where I was. Well, we we'd only we'd been there for just a couple of months ourselves, just like Casey. So I was like, yeah, I've I've got to reach out to Casey. Uh, thankfully, uh, it did work out, and it was incredible. Uh, she was kind enough to surprise me and had her camera on, so I got to see the backyards. What you know, just like what my backyard. I mean, it's the same housing area. So, of course, it looks the same. <laughs> but it was, it was really cool to get to see uh, Japan again from that angle, for the, where I was. We had a wonderful chat. You know, we got to talk about uh, her storytelling from how she's always been a storyteller and has been one from a very young age. Uh, her love and appreciation for aviation history. And, I mean, not just her appreciation, but you can feel it. When she starts talking about it, you can feel it in there. It is a deep love and appreciation for for aviation history. also heard her talking about, <laughs> when she talked about her youth, uh, it had me wondering, when are we going to hear a combination of some of her youthful stories? Like, I want to I hear a story about wolf pirates. There you go, Casey. There's one for you. How about How about that series? Let's hear about wolf pirates. There's all that and so much more, as well as Casey doing a wonderful reading from one of her books, Minds of Men. The story is amazing, and 
you know what, I'm going to let her explain it to you. So let's get us on over to a word from our sponsor and then our interview with Casey Azell. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Hello friends, welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast. We are jumping over for the very first time all the way over to the Far East. We're going to Yokota, Japan, a place I am very familiar with, sitting down to have a chat with DragonCon nominee... Casey Azell. Casey, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I am so excited to have you. And I, I would, you know, I thought for a minute maybe I would greet you in Japanese, but my Japanese sucks. <laughs> so does mine. <laughs> <laughs> Going through the gate, uh, I, when I was learning to drive off base, my kids, to the day we left, I was always saying my Japanese backwards. And I would, <laughs> instead of hello, I'm saying goodbye. And oh my gosh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a bit of an adjustment. It's been a challenge, but um, I think it's fun. I've tried to, uh, to, you know, tried to pick up a couple of common phrases and stuff, and I'm sure that you know the the Japanese gate guards are they're so kind and and very generous when they you know when I mangle their language <laughs> trying to <laughs> greet them, but um, they're always really nice about it. So that's oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, they... <laughs> That, that is for sure. They are some of the greatest people I've met has been over there in Japan and just in, incredibly gracious people. So, Well, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I know you're a U.S. Air Force graduate and helicopter pilot, but there's so much more to you, I know. Uh, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so uh, my name is Casey Ezell. I have uh, served 20 years this year in the United States Air Force as a um, UH-1 helicopter pilot, and I have... Uh, I'm married. I have two kids, two girls, one 16 and one six as of right now, obviously. Um, and, uh, and I write books, uh, and stories and, uh, I mostly write in kind of the mill sci-fi mill fantasy genre, I guess. Although I do have a couple of horror stories out and at least one story that is definitely a romance, but that is included in a, uh, a military science fiction anthology. So I don't know you be the judge, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I'm fascinated by stories and by the ways in which people interact with one another and, you know, how those things shape the world. So why, that's why I do this. That's awesome. And, I mean, going over your catalog, I mean, you've got a lot of this military sci-fi that a lot of times it's very dominated, I think, by, by male authors. But you are really holding your own and you have some incredible titles on there. Does it Does it seem challenging to you at all to be up against so many other guys, or you seem like you have a lot of fun with it. I do have a lot of fun with it. Um, and so it's, no, it's it's not, it isn't challenging to me to be a girl in this world, if that's what you're asking, because number one, I don't know anything different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've always been a girl. Um, what has been an advantage 
uh, for me is that I, I am in the military and I do have a military background. And so um, I'm able to pull from those experiences with a ring of authenticity that I think the readers really respond to. You know, that's you write what you know, right? Well, this has been my life. I was, uh, in, I, uh, as you said, I graduated from the, the United States Air Force Academy. And then even prior to that, I was a military brat from the time that I was six years old. So I'm well and thoroughly indoctrinated into this life. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it obviously flavors my writing. And, um, you know, when fans of the genre, I think, respond to that uh, positively. And then the other thing, too, is that one of the things that I think my fans specifically enjoy, um, because this is what they've said, is that I... I tend to focus on the interactions between characters, between people, whether they're human people or not human people, um, because that's what, what's interesting to me about life is how, you know, how these relationships intersect and how people relate with one another. And so putting that into the setting of a military science fiction book or a military fantasy book or, or whatever and working in, you know, those authentic details of what it is like to live in a military life. What is it like to, you know, to fly in a military aircraft, to be in hostile airspace, things of that nature. You know, that is, gives my stories. I don't know that there's anyone else out there who's doing exactly like the things that I do. And so that, you know, it kind of gives me a little bit of a niche, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you definitely have a uh, the unique insight that is going to set your characters apart from everybody else. Well, I mean, but that's true of any writer, right? I mean, you know, every just as every writer is unique, every character is unique. I just, one of the things that makes my characters the way that they are is that I do have this experience and this background to draw upon. That's awesome. So you were always a storyteller, I understand. Uh, when, did you, <laughs> <laughs> when did you start putting a pen to paper, so to speak? Uh, professionally, uh, so my first professional story came out in 2010. Um, in 2009, I, uh, I deployed to Iraq, and um, while I was over there for about a year uh, flying MI-17s, I got an email from my good friend and, uh, and mentor, John Ringo, who's a very well-known military science fiction author. And he was uh, editing an anthology of military science fiction stories written by military veterans called uh, Citizens. And it was mostly reprints, but he wanted some new voices in there. And he asked me, he knew that I wrote and, and he knew that I had a, an academic background in writing. And so he reached out to me and said, hey, do you have anything for this? And I said, no, but I could. And um, about 24 hours later, I emailed him a story. Um, and that story eventually became the story Light, which is written over my old name, Casey Grannis, <laughs> before I married uh, married my husband, but it's in the uh, in the anthology called Citizens that came out uh, from Bain Books in 20, 2010 or twenty eleven. It came out, so so that was that was sort of my first professional uh, fiction sale. Was that? That's awesome. Did you uh, were you doing a lot of writing growing up, uh, sharing stories with your friends? Yes, always, always. Uh, if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that I started, you know, I, I started making up stories and, and telling them. I, roughly coincident with the time I started talking. I was always playing pretend with my friends and, and you know, coming up with elaborate um, <laughs> elaborate scenarios to act out and, you know, whether it be recruiting all of my cousins to be the members of a kingdom that we formed in the backyard of my grandparents' house to, um, you know, playing, you know, 
Star Wars and, and uh, you know, running through the halls of some pretend um, Death Star, you know, that was actually just, you know, a playground jungle gym, you know what I mean? <laughs> just yep. stuff like that. Um, yeah, so ever ever since I was tiny, I made up stories and, and acted them out and, you know, I, I first started writing them down probably for school, I think, was, was around the first time that I started doing that, um, okay. you know, when you're given some kind of little activity and the teachers like make up a story. And I, I think the first one I can remember, I think it was supposed to be something like, you know, write a story about family, you know what I mean? And because I'm, I was always kind of a weird kid, <laughs> instead of writing about a normal family, I wrote about a wolf pack and a, a wolf pack fighting like some evil ghosts or something. I don't know. <laughs> it had this whole like urban fantasy vibe to it. <laughs> so, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I was. I think I was in fifth grade, maybe when that happened. So oh, either wow. that, or it was a story about pirates. I do remember writing about pirates a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, yeah, I I was growing up in the '80s, so I had all like the missing in action Chuck Norris and the Sylvester yeah. Stallone Rambo stuff. So my friends and I were always saving the school from when the Russians were sure to attack us any time. Right. So, right. Yeah. Wolverines. Was, exactly. Yes, Wolverines. <laughs> Yep. Do you happen to have any of those stories still? I think my mom does, actually. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> one of the, your uh, one of your very very popular books that came out a year ago and and again was nominated with the uh, the Dragon Con finalist, Minds of Men. It's amazing. It's got incredible ratings. People are just loving this book. Tell us about this. Like, where where did the idea come from? Well, first, thank you for all the kind words about it. Um, Minds of Men is, uh, and I've, I've said this before, it's really my love letter to aviation history. The, I, so, you know, obviously I'm a pilot, so I'm an aviation enthusiast, and I'm a history buff, um, and I've always been fascinated by, you know, the era, that era in aviation history, because in a lot of ways, it represents something that I don't think we'll ever see again. I don't think there's ever, it's hard for me to conceptualize, you know, never say never, right? But it's hard for me to conceptualize a strategic situation that would require 100 ship formations all, you know, taking off to go do strategic bombing somewhere in in today's environment. It's, it's I, I, it would be very difficult for me to imagine that scenario coming to pass. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that's unique about, about World War II and aviation history is that we saw that. And, you know, just in studying it and reading about it, um, I actually happened upon a book. I don't know if the idea happened first or if I had the idea and found this book as part of my research. But there's this book that I, um, I mentioned in the acknowledgments of, of Minds of Men, actually, that it's, uh, it's called Combat Crew was the title, and there was a subtitle, but I always get it wrong, so I'm not going to mention it, but it was written by a gentleman who was the flight engineer gunner on a B-17 flying in 8th Air Force, uh, you know, flying combat missions over occupied Europe. And it's basically this, this guy's war diary, where he tells the stories of, you know, the missions that he went on. He tells a couple of story, of his friends' stories, you know, kind of from their point of view, talking about the things that they saw, the things that they experienced. And I read this, and it was, it was a really quick um, and it was so compelling because it had that ring of authenticity to it. Like you, you know, it, it was maybe not the most polished writing I've ever seen. It wasn't slick at all, if that makes sense. But it was, it was so raw and honest. And 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 like I said, it, it was so authentic. It really rang true. And 
I, you know, I, I read that and I was like, man, you know, thinking of, of the things that these guys went through, how they have, you know, all that they had to process and how, how they did that. It just kind of got me thinking like, well, how would, what, you know, what if you had to experience it through more than one, more than your own senses? You know, what if, what if you didn't have to deal with not just your own experience, but you had to deal with someone else's experience as well and someone else's experience as well. The other thing that, that kind of sparked the idea was, have you ever seen the inside of a B-17 cockpit? Yeah. They, they are pretty Spartan. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. they, the idea of flying in a, again, a hundred ship formation in bad weather because it's the English Channel, it's almost always bad weather, and then into combat with that primitive in- instrumentation terrifies me as an aviator. I, I would not want to do it. Like, I mean, those... Those those men who did that have all of my respect and and a, a lot of awe. <laughs> I have a lot of awe for them because that stuff's just freaking crazy, man. It is crazy to do what they did <laughs> yeah. with that equipment. But they did it. They did it day in and day out, and a lot of them didn't come home. And so uh, there's just so much about that whole story that I find so compelling. So anyway, somehow I you know I kind of put all those pieces together and came up with this idea that well, what if uh, you know, what if they had women on board who were psychic and were using that ability to to increase the, you know, basically to act as human radios, to allow the aircraft to fly closer, tighter formation, which was the way that they protected themselves against the Luftwaffe, right. um, you know, when they didn't have fighter escort because they didn't have a long-range fighter at that point. And then, and you know, what would those women experience? How would that feel? Would they become part of the crew? How would they become part of the crew? You know, and and so the idea just kind of grew out of that. Wow. It's, that was a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there's, you know, the fans and the readers, they, they love to dig into that. And I, I, I'm right there with them. I was just like, no, no, no. Tell me more. Yeah. So, well, that's incredible. I mean, and it's, it's such a, a unique idea to have this alternate history and blend it with some sci-fi like this it's i love it it's it's a very uh manhattan project uh with some uh, psychic kind of vibe going on yeah so so that's the first book is minds of men um and then the second book so midway through the first book spoiler alert you know the the main character is E.B. adamson her b-17 gets shot down and she survives and um she and a couple of her crew members who also survived the bailout, end up having to um, escape and evade through occupied Europe. And turns out that, that the Germans have psychics too, and one of them is on their tail. Um, so I kind of set up this, uh, this like cat and mouse, you know, sort of chase through, through occupied Europe, which was a lot of fun to, to research uh, and to write because I got to learn about some of the really interesting resistance-led escape lines that ran through Europe. Um, and there's another book, again, I mentioned it in the acknowledgments, called um, Little Cyclone. It was written by Ari Neve. Neve? I don't know how to say his name properly. He's a Brit. Um, he worked for, he was part of MI9 in, in during the war, which was the, uh, the, the British agency responsible for um, retrieving, I guess would be the right word, retrieving, repatriating the um, downed airmen who you know, bailed out or, or went down behind enemy lines and stuff. Um, so MI9 was the agency working to get them back. And and they worked with 
um, a couple of these resistance-led escape lines. And so some of the stories from that were really fascinating. I, I really had a great time kind of cherry-picking some of the stories and adapting them into my own story pretty shamelessly. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, so that's kind of, you know, the first book. And then the, um, the World of Sunder is the second book. And in that book, I follow the antagonist from Minds of Men, um, the German psychic named uh, Lena Suhering, who she, you know, we start off, we meet Lena, and she's a Nazi. And um, it was a, an interesting challenge for me to try and take a character um, who is almost by definition unsympathetic and, and try to make her sympathetic and try to make her resonate with the audience and, and make her motivations and actions uh, comprehensible, if that makes sense. You know, the, there's, there's a very famous quote, and I don't know who originally said it, but it's that every villain is the hero of their own story. And so with The World Asunder, I was really kind of trying to explore that. I, I started it in Minds of Men because I do have some, you know, some, some sections that are from Lena's point of view where I try to convey like the reasons why she's doing what she's doing, you know, um, and, and the reasons why she believes what she believes. And then, um, I just sort of tried to, to continue that on in, uh, in the world of Sunder. And, uh, I mean, I, I think it worked out. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I really, I'm very proud of both books, but, um, I think the world of Sunder is, is actually probably a little bit better than mine's men just cause I've learned more, you know, I, <laughs> you get better every time you write a book. Right. So, yeah. Well, you, you must be getting very good because I, I noticed a lot of books with 2019 premiere on there this year. So, And it actually kind of it draws me in with uh, my other question because I know we have a lot of authors that listen to this as well. And so as somebody with quite the work ethic that you have and, and uh, a full-time job, where do you fit in all this writing? Wherever I can. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, you know, honestly, my productivity has fallen off a lot since this PCSing here. Part of it was, so PCS, for those in your audience who might not know, stands for Permanent Change of Station. It's moving, obviously. Um, so since moving here to Japan, the move itself, to, you know, I, I tried to arrange things so that I would have uh, kind of July and August off and, and nothing really due during that time. I was sort of a little bit successful and a little bit unsuccessful in doing that. Um, but I knew that I was going to have to focus on real life for a while with moving overseas and getting settled into the house and getting the kids settled in college and or college in school and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I haven't been, you know, I haven't been putting up the word counts that I was doing prior to moving out here. But I'm working on getting back to it now that, you know, now that we've got a house and we're settled and, you know, we've got all our stuff moved in and everything. For me, it's just a matter of, of finding, finding those moments that, you know, where I can fit it in, whether that be after my kids go to bed or at least my little one, um, after she goes to bed and, you know, I'll take an hour or two and try to knock out 500,000 words or if, you know, it's slow at work and I'm not going anywhere for lunch, I may write at lunch, you know, just bust out my personal laptop and sit at my desk at work <laughs> and hope no one calls me on it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, it's lunchtime, right? It's my time. That's, that's sort of my, my thin excuse. But yeah, just, just stuff like that. There, you know, there are some people who are just complete rock stars and they can wake up at three in the morning and knock out 3,000 words and then go do a full 12 hour day. Um, and, I'm just not there. That's, that's not how I am. So I have to, you know, 
I have to look at where my life is and kind of who I need to be in that moment. And, you know, when the workload is low and I have the luxury of a lot of time and I can, I can put up big word counts and try to do so, um, so that in times like this, when it doesn't work out, then I, I accept the fact that, that I'm not just a writer. I'm, I'm mom first. I'm, you know, major in the United States Air Force second. And well, I should say mom slash wife first and then major in the United States Air Force second and then writer third. So, um, and sometimes that's how it has to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're not a robot like Scott Moon. I, mean, I, <laughs> him I wasn't going to call Scott out. Oh my gosh. I, he my is a Man, and I know he, uh, I know he was telling me that he does a lot of dictating, but I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I don't know how he does that. It's just, man. But yeah, and I, I agree with you. It's, I mean, kind of like tonight, you know, we had this thing scheduled and all of a sudden the grandkids show up and it kind of threw me off a little bit. So I appreciate your patience, but you know, that, that's where, what it's all about. It's, uh, getting to take those few moments and spend it with what really counts and then uh, keeping the dedication to get back in there and do the work that you got to do later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been a blast and I'm, you know, I really appreciate that you turned on your camera, even though we're audio only. So I'm getting a little <laughs> flashback to Japan, getting to see what used to be like my own backyard. But uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can, uh, where can our listeners find and follow you? Uh, so my website is uh, www.kcezel.net. It's K-A-C-E-Y-E-Z-E-L-L.net. If they go there, they can, um, you know, I have a list of books. I have a couple of uh, blog posts every now and then. But most importantly, I have the link to sign up for my uh, mailing list. I send out a newsletter every month and talk about what I've got coming out, what my friends have coming out, share some cool cover art. You know, try not to spam people, but I do try to engage and uh, um, just kind of let people get to know me. Sometimes I'll put Japan pictures in there, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, um, so that's you know, if 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 you're interested in me, that's uh, uh, that's probably the best way to get to know me. I'm also you can uh, find me on my Amazon author page. It also has a list of all my work on there, and um, so go check that out. Uh, again, same spelling, Casey Ezel. I'm also on Facebook at uh, Casey Ezel. Yeah, and that was a good lesson for me to make sure to listen to a podcast all the way through so that I would know to find you on Facebook, not Twitter. <laughs> right. That was the best way for me to reach out to you. So. <laughs> I do have a Twitter account. I don't use it very often. I need to get better about it. But, yeah. <laughs> well, this has been great. And, yeah, everybody, we're going to have links to all of this in the show notes for the website, for Amazon. And uh, I I'm looking right at Minds of Men right now on Amazon. It is on Kindle Unlimited. So, everybody, you got no excuse. You know, if you get yourself a Kindle Unlimited account, go pick it up, grab it. It's an incredible book, and, I, and I've been hearing so much about it. So, And if you don't mind, can I plug the audiobook real quick? Absolutely. So both the mind, both Minds of Men and The World Asunder um, have audiobooks uh, that are out. Uh, you can get them right now. Um, and they're both narrated by the incredibly talented Jennifer Jill Araya, um, who is my favorite narrator. She... Um, she just really brings my characters to life. Um, so if you're an audiophile, I highly, highly recommend that, uh, that you check them out because, yeah, she just she completely knocked it out of the park with both books. So. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, sorry, Jennifer, but we're going to hear from the author today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I, I'm not quite as, as much of a rock star as she is. But. 
All right, well, that's okay. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside and hand the floor over to our guest, Casey Azell and Minds of Men. Look sharp, everyone, Carl said after a while. Evelyn couldn't have said whether they'd been droning for minutes or hours in the cold, dense white of the cloud cover. We should be overhead the French coast in about 30 seconds. The men all reacted to this announcement with varying degrees of excitement and terror. Sean got up from his seat and came back to her, holding an awkward-looking arrangement of fabricated straps. Put this on, he thought to her. It's your flak jacket, and your parachute's just there, he said, pointing. If the captain gives the order to bail out, you go, clip this piece into your chute, and jump out the biggest hole you can find. Do you understand? You do, don't you? This psychic thing certainly makes explaining things easier, he finished with a grin. Evelyn gave him what she hoped was a brave smile and took the flak jacket. It was deceptively heavy, and she struggled a bit with getting it on. Sean gave her a smile and a thumbs and then headed to his station. The other men were checking in and charging their weapons. A short time later, Evelyn saw through Rico's eyes as the tail gunner watched their fighter escort waggle their wings at the formation and depart. They didn't have the long-range fuel capability to continue all the way to the target. Someday, that long-range fighter escort we were promised will materialize, Carl thought. His mind felt determinedly positive like he was trying to be strong for the crew and not let them see his fear. That, of course, was an impossibility, but the crew took it well. After all, they were all afraid, too. Especially as the formation had begun its descent to the attack altitude of 20,000 feet. Evelyn became gradually aware of the way the men's collective tension ratcheted up with every hundred feet of descent. They were entering enemy fighter territory. Yeah, someday Veronica Lake will... Uh, never mind. Sorry, Evie. That was less. Evelyn could feel the waist gunner's not-quite-repentant grin. She had to suppress a grin of her own, but Les's irreverence was the perfect tension-breaker. Boys will be boys, she said, projecting a sense of tolerance. But real men keep their private lives private. She added this last with a bit of smug superiority and felt the rest of the crew's appreciative flair of humor at her jab. Even Les laughed, shaking his head. A warmth that had nothing to do with her electric suit enfolded Evelyn, and she started to feel like maybe... She might just become part of the crew yet. Fighters, 12 o'clock high. The call came from Alice. If she craned her head to look around Sean's body, Evelyn could just see the terrifying rain of tracer fire coming from the dark, driving silhouette of an enemy fighter. She let the call echo down her own channels and felt her men respond, turning their own weapons to cover teacher's pet's flanks. Adrenaline surges spiked through all of them, causing Evelyn's heart to race and turn. She took a deep breath and reached out to tie her crew in closer to the forts around them. She looked through Sean's eyes as he fired from the top turret, tracking his line of bullets just in front of the attacking aircraft. His mind was oddly calm and terribly focused, as indeed they all were. Even young Lieutenant Bob was zeroed in on his task of keeping a tight position and making it that much harder to penetrate the deadly crossing fire of the flying fortress. Fighters, three o'clock low. That was Tony in the ball turret. Evelyn felt him as he spun his turret around and began to fire the twin Browning ANM-2 50-caliber machine guns at the sinister dark shapes rising up to meet them with fire. Got him, Bobby Friche replied from his position in the right waist. He, too, opened up with his own 50-cal BMG, tracking the barrel forward to the nose of the fighter formation in order to lead their flight and not shoot behind them. Evelyn blinked, then hastily relayed the call to the other girls in the formation net. She felt their acknowledgement that was almost an absent thing, as each of the girls was focusing mostly on communication between the men and their individual crews. Gotcha, you crap son of a bitch, Tony exulted. 
Evelyn looked through his eyes and couldn't help but feel a twist of pity for the pilot of the German fighter as he spiraled toward the ground, one wing completely gone. She carefully kept that emotion from Tony, however, as he was concentrating on trying to take out the other three fighters who'd been in the initial attacking wedge. One fell victim to Bobby's relentless fire as he threw out a curtain of lead that couldn't be avoided. Two back to you, Tail, Bobby said, his mind carrying an even calm, devoid of Tony's adrenaline-filled exultation. Yup, Rico Martinez answered as he visually acquired the two remaining targets and opened fire. He was aided by fire from the aircraft flying off their right wing, the nagging Natasha. She fired from her left waist and tail, and the two remaining fighters faltered and tumbled through the resulting crossfire. Evelyn watched through Rico's eyes as the ugly black smoke trailed the wreckage down. Fighters, 12 high. Fighters, too high. Calls were simultaneous, coming from Sean in the top turret and Les on the left side. Evelyn took a deep breath and did her best to split her attention between the two of them, keeping the net strong and open. Sean and Les opened fire, their respective weapons adding a cacophony of pops to the ever-present thrum of the engines. Black. That was Carl, up front. Evelyn felt him take hold of the controls, helping the lieutenant to maintain his position in the formation as the Nazi anti-aircraft guns began to send up 20-millimeter shells that blossomed into dark clouds that popped the sky. One exploded right in front of Pretty Cass's nose. Evelyn felt the bottom drop out of her stomach as the aircraft heaved first up and then down. She held on grimly and passed on the wordless knowledge that the pilots had no choice but to fly through the debris and shrapnel that resulted. In the meantime, the gunners continued their rapid-fire response to the enemy fighter's attempt to break up the formation. Evelyn took that knowledge, that the Luftwaffe was trying to isolate one of the forts, make her vulnerable, and passed it along the looser formation net. Shit! They got Liberty Bell, Tony called out from his view in the ball turret. Evelyn looked through his angry eyes, feeling his sudden spike of despair as they watched the crippled fort fall back, two of her four engines smoking. Instantly, the enemy fighters swarmed like so many insects, and Evelyn watched as the aircraft yawed over and began to spin down and out of control. A few agonizing heartbeats later, first one, then three more parachutes fluttered open far below. Evelyn felt Tony's bitter knowledge that there had been six other men on board that aircraft. Liberty Bell was one of the few birds flying without a psychic on board, and Evelyn suppressed a small, wicked feeling of relief that she hadn't just lost one of her friends. Fighters, 12 o'clock level, Paul called out from his bombardier compartment in the nose. His smaller 30 caliber machine guns sang out, joining the chaos of lead and noise in the acrid, burnt smell of flak and hot brass. Evelyn took a deep breath of her oxygen and tried to focus on her job, maintaining the net and keeping in touch with the other crews. Stay tight on them, Carl thought to Bob. Look, you can kind of feel what they're going to do through Evie's net, see? Evelyn ignored the sounds of combat all around her, ignored the knowledge that another fort in the formation had been shot out of the sky, and focused on the co-pilot. She fed him the inputs that she got from Alice, who got them in turn from the pilot on the controls of the teacher's pet. Light ripped through her mind, the shards of glass flew everywhere, little bee stings that faded into insignificance beside the piercing pain that racked across her chest, his chest. Evelyn screamed and heard Bob echoing the sound up front as he felt the bullets that ripped the pet's pilots to shreds. Fighters, 10 o'clock high, 12 o'clock high, they got lead. That was Sean again, rocking backward as he worked the controls of his top turret. Evelyn tried to gather the scattered fragments of her attention. Her crew net had held, but she'd ripped herself out of the larger formation, and now it felt like they were flying blind. She took another deep, steady breath of the icy oxygen in her bottle and reached out tentatively toward Alice. Nothing. Parachutes from the pet, Tony reported, his voice still calm, but with that edge of angry despair she tasted earlier. I count two. Yeah, two, Les echoed. Alice wasn't one of them. 
Evelyn reported to the group, fighting down her internal trembles. She was gone, just gone. I tried to reach her. There was just nothing there. A long pause. Sorry, Evie, Wes said gently, even as he continued to scan for the deadly fighters. It hurts, we know. Evelyn shook herself, physically, and ordered herself to get a grip. She took another icy breath and forced her head up, her shoulders down. It does, but no more than losing any airmen, she said. Alice did her job to the end. I'll try to do mine. And that was Casey Azell reading a sample chapter from her incredible book, Minds of Men. Holy cow, I, I love this book. I can't wait to dive into it myself. Uh, I, I've got it on my list now. Make sure you click the link in the show notes for Casey's website, her newsletter, her Amazon page, and don't forget to pick up a copy of these for yourself. A lot of her books are on KU, so if you are a KU subscriber, you get to try them out for free and leave a review after you read the book. Don't forget to also click the link in the show notes for our friends and sponsors of the show. And I hope you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next week when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and an all-new sample chapter. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and sayonara.